Hey listeners, before we begin the episode today, just a quick shout out to those of you who are in active recovery. You know you want to date, but you're overwhelmed or frustrated with the process um, of dating and recovery. We have an opportunity just for you. Uh, check out our new website, One Layer Deeper, O-N-E, LayerDeeper.com, uh, where we have information about our weekend dating and recovery intensives. Uh, these are awesome. They're a lot of fun. They help you dive deep into the issues that uh, keep you from dating successfully, having the relationships that you want, um, and also helping you find the kind of people that uh, you won't avoid their phone calls after a first date. So uh, we have two events upcoming. We're going to have a weekend for women. That'll be October 11th through 14th. And a weekend for men. That'll be November 1st through 4th. Uh, so if I'm talking to you, active recovery, and uh, you're frustrated with the whole dating process and would like to experience a deep change there, One Layer Deeper is for you. So check us out at OneLayerDeeper.com. Hope you enjoy the episode. Thanks for sharing podcast, the podcast where we explore all things recovery, healing, and relationship. Remember to subscribe and download episodes in the iTunes store, the Google Play store, or on the Podbean app. You can find more Thanks for Sharing at www.thanksforsharingpodcast.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash healing paths. That's path with an S. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Thanks for Sharing. I'm Jackie P. I'm John T. So today on our show, we have a guest um, who we've had on the show before. Um, Some of you may have listened to her podcast where we talked about um, money and monetized rage. Um, This is Deb Kaplan, and we are happy to have her back. We're going to be talking about um, power and power dynamics in relationships and how that comes into play, particularly with sex addiction. So welcome, Deb. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be back. Yeah, I've had several people who listened to your first podcast who really listened to it multiple times because Mm -hmm. they found such great information, and I think they won't be disappointed with this one either. Oh, I'm so glad. Yeah, this this topic comes up quite often. I get emails and um, people reach out to me inquiring about just how these dynamics, how can they break free from these dynamics? How do they, how do these dynamics even come to pass and how, because power differentials and power struggles in relationship is a given. Um, mm-hmm. And part of what we talked about last time is just how did this come to pass and what are the ways in which power show up? And mm-hmm. it really, I think this topic helps normalize it for many couples because everyone feels it, but no one really has an inside view into other people's relationships. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So can, can you start maybe by defining what you mean by power? Um, so we've, we've had these conversations with couples that we work with yeah. and, and the partner who, who we feel like really wields the power will say, I don't have power at all because power is so. So when we talk about power in relationships, what are we talking about? So when we, when we are discussing power in relationships, we're talking about influence, the concept of influence or control that one or two people perceive that they have mm-hmm. both within themselves 
as a result of their relationship or alone as a human being and the influence or power or control that they perceive they wield, have, or don't have in context to the relationship. So there's the inter between two people and the intra within oneself. Mm-hmm. And at any given time, how one feels or perceives about their own sense of self versus or in context to how they perceive themselves in, con- in relationship can be a push-pull, can be an alignment. So you've got really four dynamics going on at the same time. Uh-huh. How each individual, if it's a dyad, how they each feel about themselves and now how they perceive themselves by themselves and the other. So how, how key is, because I noticed you use the word perceive several times, how key is the perception of power and how it plays out in relationships? So that is a great question, John, because perception, how I may actually feel about myself, I may see myself as a very disempowered, or what most people will say, powerless person. And yet, my partner may think of me or perceive me as having a lot of influence in the relationship or very powerful and that may not be my self-perception. Mm-hmm. And the ways that it shows up could be around money, sexual prowess, ability, history, experience, how much money I make versus how much money my partner perceives me to have as influence in the marriage. Um, those are the ways often, those are the two ways and mostly money that clients I hear often come in and argue about work and money, even though money is not necessarily the identified issue. Mm-hmm. It tends to show up, that issue tends to show up in the bedroom around sex. Mm-hmm. But if you look under the covers, so to speak, what's really pulling on some of that might really be money. Okay. Could that also then, because I'm thinking of a couple I worked with <clears throat> where, uh, you know, the one person was kind of in charge of uh, keeping the finances, right? In charge of paying the bills, knowing what was in the account, where the money was going, what was coming in. And the other person really didn't have interest in in the money story, right? They were spending money, but they didn't really have an interest in that. And the other person really felt they had the power there. So in other words, the person who was spending the money had all the power? I mean, both of them were spending, but it was the person who didn't want to know what was going on with the money, who had a lot of power. Yeah, very often in, in relationships, there's a inability or a, a disinterest to really know what is going on financially. Yeah. And I tend to think, as gender-specific as this sounds, many women tend to be overwhelmed or feel incompetent around issues of money. Now that might be a socialization and that may change generationally, but uh, women who are older than 30 or 40 tend to not have been educated about money sense and therefore will leave that to their partner. But as I often say to couples, and, and this happens weekly in my practice when I work with couples, 
the the woman, if it's a hetero relationship, the wife will say, I really don't have anything to do with the money. That's his domain. Mm-hmm. As if there's a uh, an ignorance to not wanting to know. And I say to them, not knowing or being ignorant or choosing not to know is not strategy that ultimately can serve you. And I say this in the best of uh, intentions because should something happen to her husband or her partner, she has no awareness. And so ignorance is not a backup plan. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So, so as we're looking at power dynamics kind of globally, why, why do we get power dynamics forming in a relationship? So, yeah, I wanted to veer back to the, uh, that as of late, when we certainly saw on the end of 17, where uh, what was happening in the headlines breaking out across the country, the sexual exploitation that was happening in Hollywood mm-hmm. really brought to the forefront and pulled out from behind closed doors the sexual exploitation that was happening. Mm-hmm. Now, in those cases, in those high profile cases, power was wielded from the position of the person who had what the exploited or the abused wanted mm-hmm. and held power and sway from sexual and uh, monetarily over the abused. Now, let's make something very clear. It's not only abuse, it could also be clearly um, exploitive, um, rape in many of these cases, and assaultive. And that is not always the case for couples and who are not in the, in the, in the headlines in these cases in the um, Me Too movement. But on a much more covert level, power can be wielded and the exploited uh, with power, with, with, with sex and money. And the sense of shame or the core themes around trust and shame are very important here to look into. In other words, trust and intimacy and shame and self-esteem are how power and control flourish. Mm. Too much sense of shame, and I'm going to take the one down position and perhaps Mm -hmm. not feel I have the right to assert myself not enough shame or humility and therefore a um, compensation of self will likely put me in the shameless abusive one-up position and the ability to with impunity control or perceive that i have that ability that right and that power to control others if i were to bump up against somebody who wouldn't put up with that or who instead was willing to say, I'm not going to submit to what I need to do in order to achieve this goal, well, then they get to walk away. But there, in these cases, in the Me Too movement and the very high-profile cases, uh, power and control was uh, assault and rape. And that, of course, is outside of the scope of what we're talking about because it's illegal Mm-hmm. And not right. only is it illegal, it's reprehensible. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I think you said you, you hit on a really key idea there is that um, what we're wanting the other person has. 
And I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about how you see that playing out in the couples who come and see you. Like, what is it that's wanted? What's pursued? Who holds what? Um, what is it we're trying to get from each other? Yeah. So I have um, uh, in my book for love and money, exploring sexual and financial portrayal. I talked a lot about couples that may not necessarily marry for money, but they marry for the perception of what the other may offer them. Mm. Social access, financial stability, a child. Mm -hmm. You know, marriage historically was really about power and control. Families that came together, look at Cleopatra and Julius Caesar, Mm -hmm. look at Cleopatra and Mark Antony, how two families came together because it was better to battle together than to battle against Mm -hmm. and what I could achieve by way of access into that family gave me power and dominance over a kingdom. Mm-hmm. And so today, while we've come a very long way from there, in many ways we haven't because families wed for pedigree. Mm-hmm. Uh, the most current movie, Crazy Rich Asians, is very much on the basis of you are not good enough. This family mm-hmm. does not perceive you, other as being good enough. But how two people come together and what one may want from the other has to be discussed and has to be known between the two of them and not having that conversation. And with the assumption that if I marry you, will um, I'll have access to that money, to that financial mm-hmm. stability, uh, can, that's where the problems begin. Mm-hmm. I, I love that um, idea of being really clear on what it is that's bringing us together. Like, I, I think you're right that we have this cultural artifact of marriage as a consolidation of power. Um, it's, it's how we, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. how we bring something together to defend against what we fear and, and having a really clear discussion about why we're coming together, even looking under some of those stones that are, are really hard to admit. Um, you know, I like the idea of you, of what you can provide for me financially. And that's one of the reasons why I want this marriage to work, not just, well, I really love you, so of course I want to marry you. Right. Uh, you know, in my book, one of the chapters is called Spoken Agreements and Silent Arrangements. And there are the agreements that you and I have when we get married. Uh, we're going to get married, we're going to come together, and we're, we're going to have children, and we're going to move across the country. Okay? And then there's the silent arrangements. Yeah, we're going to have children, but I really don't think I want children. I think I want my career to take first Mm. place and uh, she or he will change his mind. And so the undertone, the silent arrangements versus the spoken agreements have very much been problematic for many, many couples because they aren't very clear. Now, in the cases where they have been very clear and there's been a reversal of what I really want, there's there's really no getting around that one or the other is going to compromise or that will be the and the demise of the relationship or the marriage um, but this brings me to a point about relational currency uh, and I'll define what relational currency is relational currency is what each individual wants and values and brings to a relationship it's also the acts or statements used to express how I love you or give affection and relationship. 
and knowing what my currency is. Now, this is going to sound perhaps uh, pretty dicey to some of your listeners, and I know that it could be a um, quite a, a heated topic. But when I speak in terms of relational currency, I'm not merely objectifying individuals. But what I'm saying is in the reality of what do I bring to this relationship? Mm -hmm. And do I recognize my self-worth? I may not make money that's important to my spouse. And therefore, do I feel valued in this relationship? And most importantly, do I value myself? Or do I say, you know what, I don't make money in this relationship, but what I bring in the ways that I um, support and love and honor this relationship, I feel good about and is also valued and honored by my partner. Mm -hmm. So these are the other aspects that come into play that aren't always addressed and have to be flushed out either in therapy or in the relationship with, with the honesty between two people. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about that. Cause I think that whole idea of, you know, honest conversations, maybe pre marriage about what we're looking, what the expectations are. Th that's great. But, and I, and I do think like premarital counseling is, is gaining in how often it happens. But for a lot of people, like they're already past that, right? Or they had no idea mm -hmm. what, what the expectations were or what the power dynamic was in their relationship. And they're just now starting to maybe have questions about what was my real intent in getting in this relationship? What was my partner's real intent in getting in this relationship? That can be um, I, frightening, I think, when they start to stumble upon those questions. And yet it doesn't have to break down the relationship. But I don't think we have... No, a, it doesn't have to break it down. Yeah, but we don't have a lot of good models for what shared power, right, or fully owning mm -hmm. what your intentions are. We, we, don't, we don't have good models of that around us. Um, well, they're, they're, they're probably there, but out of sight, because these mm -hmm. are the, the couples that are doing relatively well and they're navigating and negotiating power in their relationship and they tend not to come to the fore we may see them as you know they kind of uh, they're the couple that look like they're getting along now whether or not in reality they are we'll never know right but the couples that will as a therapist and for both of you that come to your office are the couples that aren't able to navigate this. These are the couples that we hear about. We're not so much aware of the couples that are navigating well mm -hmm. yeah. and making headway on this on their own. Um, there's something I call leveling the playing field. So back to your original point, you know, couples will stumble into problems and of course they will right. because two people that come together in a relationship are now creating this living, breathing entity. And I don't mean a child. I'm, I'm speaking about the coupleship that has its own energy. It has its own personality fed by the two people who comprise what that relationship is. So this coupleship that is formed is not going to stay static. No more static than a family, a family of origin is. It has to be flexible enough 
to be able to accommodate the needs of the two individuals. And that doesn't mean that each one's going to get their way. And it doesn't mean that it's a 50-50 every moment relationship. Compromise will perhaps mean that I put my needs and wants aside, knowing that that will come later, assuming it does, and that I'm willing for the betterment of this relationship or, or union to put aside my immediate needs or for that of my partner. Because I care for and I'm pro-social about the relationship, not pro-self. And it's where we get locked into the pro-self versus pro-social per, uh, perception and model of being that we have problems. Uh-huh. I was going to say, I think that pro-self locked into that is where I see a lot of these power struggles. It, it's almost like we can't even navigate this um, because there's, there's no ground to be lost or gained. It's very much this, it's got to be this way for me or it's got to be this way in our relationship we're really clinging to the rigidity mm-hmm. rather than letting it breathe. Right. Um, I was working with a couple some years back and um, they were arguing and uh, I actually invite them to argue in front of me. I want to see what does this look like? And that may sound counterintuitive that you come to therapy to argue, but the fact of the matter is that I know they're doing it outside of my office, I'm, and I don't get to get a bird's view, a, a bird's eye view, nor do I get to be a fly on the wall. So I just let them do their thing, and I just sit back and in, allow them to engage in the way that they do, which gives me valuable information. Who's appearing to to me powerless, disempowered, unable to own his or her influence, unwilling? to stand in their perception and therefore push power away. Uh, in this particular couple, I intervened at some point and said, if you were wife, if you were to say what you really wanted to say and were able to stand in your truth and I'm giving you the power wand, what would that look like? Could you do this now? Mm. Just in the sanctity of this office, knowing that you have you know, full power to say what it is you need to say to stand and be in your truth. And she couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. She could not do it, which was very interesting because this couple gets locked in arguments that they don't seemingly ever resolve. Mm-hmm. And she, he wanted her to be able to do that. She herself couldn't. Mm-hmm. And that was very telling that she was not able to own her own sense of empowerment. So if she herself couldn't own it and felt therefore always one down to him, you can see where that's a a no-win situation for either of them. He'll never win because she'll always blame him. And he'll never win because she's not willing to be the stronger person and own her her truth. Hmm. So it's a lose-lose proposition. Mm Mm-hmm. And and at the same time as I listen to that, I wonder what was your impression about what they were trying to preserve, you know? Because I think when we get when we do what we do, it's it's for a reason. What what do you think they were preserving in that? In this particular case, they were preserving that if I were actually, if from the wife's perspective, if I were actually to own my truth and stand in this truth. And, and stand for what I believe in. My greatest ultimate fear is that you will leave me. 
to be who I need to be is unacceptable to you. And my fear perceived as it was, is that, that, that husband would leave. Mm -hmm. Now here's the other side of that husband says, I want you to be empowered and I want, I don't want you to always uh, submit to everything I say. I don't want all that power. I don't want to make all those decisions. I don't want to drive that bus. And yet the dynamic that he's stuck in is I'm not so really willing to submit and give this power away because if I do, I'm afraid that you will reject me. Mm. Yeah. So the rejection and abandonment drives this from both sides. Mm-hmm. We um, recently were talking in some of our staff meetings and, and just were talking about, and, and actually John and I, it led to John and I doing a podcast kind of about what changes in the relationship when we get into therapy. And, and some of that, cause we were seeing that dynamic, right. As we're doing maybe individual work with the wife and she is starting to speak her truth in a safe place. Maybe she can't do it in a joint session yet, but eventually she starts to do it. Right. And he wants her to, but then his issues come up. Right. And so we were just saying, how do we have these conversations kind of up front so that they don't start blaming the therapy process and saying, you changed my wife, right? Or you, um, you made things worse in our marriage, but really navigating and helping each understand these changes are coming and it's going to uh, maybe trigger some feelings of insecurity or like you were talking about that possibility of rejection um, that maybe the the uncomfortableness of really being seen, right? That so many of us long <laughs> for and yet are uncomfortable also when it happens. Um, and, and I think it is kind of getting out of these socialized messages and becoming aware of like what we were told a good husband does or what we are told a good wife looks like and giving space, like you were saying, for us to create that in our coupleship. Yeah, this this speaks to the skills of so to the listeners who are um, who are hearing our conversation. Um, imagine some of them are going, "Yeah, so what do we do about this? How do we get out of this?" <laughs> and this is what I tell my clients. First of all, I'm having them address each other. I stay out of the process as much as possible. Mm-hmm. If you consider that my, I see my role in this as the composer, excuse me, as the director, okay. I'm going to um, be directing. I'm going to try to bring the symphony to play in harmony with each other. And when one is playing outside of the harmonic um, musical fluidity, I'm going to kind of ask one to bring their tone up and I'm going to probably ask one to bring their tone down, but I'm directing them to each other. And so I very much stay out of that process as strong, as strange as this sounds. I'm directive in a very uh, passive way Mm -hmm. because what I'm looking to do is to help shore up the stability from the inside out. And here's how that sounds. I want, in this case, just heteronormative male-female so we can, um, um, for ease and clarity of the conversation, when I'm asking this couple to argue, 
and I'm listening for what I'm hearing are the core organizing principles, I will ask them to stop at one point while they keep their eyes on each other. And I'll ask the wife, and this is very much based in the PACT theory, the psychobiological approach to couples therapy by Stan Tatkin's work. And I love Stan Tatkin's work for this specifically. Uh I will ask one of the two, the wife, for example, what do you hear in, let's call him Joe, what do you hear in Joe's uh, complaint right now? And I'll ask her to reflect it back. And so when I work with couples, I'm asking them to key in to what's happening in their own body when they're listening to their partner talk to them. Because how that intra sense of self, that their nervous system, the sense of powerlessness comes when they can't tolerate what's going on internally. And as soon as I direct them to their own bodily nervous system states, they get to regulate. And once someone is regulated, now they can go about the business of doing the work that the adult, functional adult gets to be. Yeah. But if they're not able to be present and therefore disempowered, absent, and not functioning from that adult place, there's already an abandonment of that relationship because it takes two functional adults to try to resolve the issues that they may not be able to do as in their woundedness. Uh So how someone sees themselves, it gets back to the beginning of our conversation, how someone sees themselves as disempowered, not good enough, they'll never love me, I'm not, I'm defective, whatever the core belief is, I need to listen for this. And I want to reflect that so that each couple sees what the other's core beliefs and sense of self is as they talk. Right. I know there's a lot there to unpack. Yeah, Yeah, there is a lot. So rewind and listen to it again, listeners. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I would also say, um, as you were talking about kind of that functional mature adult self needs to show up in the relationship and, and really it starts with knowing yourself and um, understanding all of that because I, I see for some couples, right. And this is work we have to do where stepping into their partner's perspective, right. And saying, this is what in your example saying, this is what I'm hearing him say. Or, and I'm wondering mm-hmm. if there's this too, just because I know him, right? So I'm wondering if he's also trying to say this or if he's relating it to this. For a lot of people, they feel like, well, if I really step into his perspective, then mine isn't going to be hurt or mine has to disappear, which isn't, right? We know this doing the couple's work. That's not true. But if you're mm-hmm. still dealing with abandonment wounds and whatever led you to feel like your perspective or your voice didn't matter and was always less than, then that's going to come up. Yeah, exactly. And what we're, we're also doing is, and what I'm hoping the listeners are taking away from this, is that they have to tend to their own sense of self. And if they're not able to do that, 
that's where individual therapy comes in. Mm -hmm. They have to learn how to handle their own internal distress, their intrapsychic distress. Now, when they have that, we come into couples and I want to attune one couple, one individual with the other. Joe, what do you see in Susie's face right now as you talk? Stop as you talk and just notice what do you see on Susie's face? Uh-huh. And I ask her to, if he says, well, I see that my wife is, I see Susie is, um, she's listening and she's angry. And I'll say to Susie, it, did he get that right? No. Can you share with, with Joe how you're feeling? I'm really scared. Mm-hmm. When, you, when I hear you say to me that um, you're tired of working so hard, I'm really scared. And I shut down. And I can't really be present. I can't listen. I'm too scared. So I'm starting on a very micro to get them to attune to each other because how one perceives the other versus how they truly feel will go a long way to balancing that power discrepancy mm-hmm. between two people. So, so along those lines. And I truly want to imp- yeah, go ahead, John. I'm sorry. No, sorry. Sorry, finish your thought. I have a, I think my question is going to take this in a little bit of a different direction. Yeah, so al- along those lines, when I can empower the person who feels disempowered, now we have a relationship that can start to build on power. In other words, to mm. build on how powerful they both can be not how powerful I can be because you feel disempowered and I can exploit that. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, th- I think that's a, it's a good segue into this question. When you're, when you're working with these couples, are you working on, there's a specific arrangement of power that needs to happen. Um, or do, do couples kind of find and negotiate the, the power structure that works for them? I know you, you talked a little bit about that in May at the ITAP Symposium, different arrangements for power in relationships. If you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so there are very many different uh, power theories, and I do a little uh, psychoeducation with clients, and never do I presume that what I want for the couple is what they want for themselves. Mm-hmm. There may be a coupleship um, uh, there's an individual, a, a woman I worked with many years ago, and she came in and said, you know, he controls all the money. And I'm here. She, was, he, she came into therapy to talk about um, her brother who was struggling and she didn't handle it. And her husband was upset with her because she was trying to save him all the time. So there was a lot of codependency going on. But as I'm listening, what was really happening She came in with the perceived issue that she wanted to handle how to deal with her brother. Mm. But what was really happening was the power differential in this marriage. He ran with all the money. He, he controlled all the money. She did not want any, she under, did not understand it. And sexually she said she submitted to whatever he wanted. Mm. Dare I say there was even I had to put a name on it. I feared that there might have been some spousal rape going on as well. So here is a woman who is feeling very disempowered in her marriage, but yet controlling of her brother in order to somehow assert herself. And 
in that case, I don't have a couple to work with, but I'm looking for her to find her empowered self and to stand up to her needs and wants and values in the marriage and be able to say, no, I won't have sex with you unless I really want to have sex with you. Yeah. But closer to where there is a couple in the room, I'm keying into the perceived, what their each perceived power of themselves is. And then I want them to do some homework around this. I want them to come back in and I want them to be able to own their own sense of self, their power. And I want them to really, uh, to write down and delineate for themselves how they try to control their partner and what they perceive they are being controlled as well. And I want them to then read it to each other. It is not me. It is not my place to decide for them what the couple needs. Mm -hmm. The couple has to define that for themselves. Mm -hmm. And when I know where they want to land, what is it they want from the therapy? Do they want it where the wife decides all the business decisions and the husband stays home with the children? Do they want that one, one domain of working is separate and the, and the other decides to take care of all business related to children? That's for them to decide. But if that works for them, then they have to honor what they each bring. And this is the, the, the model that they're working on is what they each bring to the relationship and they have to honor that this is her domain mm -hmm. or this is his domain. Right. I, I think that's a terrifying piece of the, the owning how powerful we both are is I think you'd say mm -hmm. something about standing in your own perception um, that I, in, in, in my view, I don't know if there's a level of mental health where that stops scaring you or if that's always one of those relational risks. When I stand in my perception, my wants, my needs, um, there's always that risk that that's too much. There's always that risk that you can say no to that. Um, but it, oh, it's, it's really interesting. There's a uh, interdependence theory model that was introduced by two social psychologists, Kelly and uh, Thibault. And it's called the interdependence theory. And it states that there are rewards and costs to any relationship and that we as human beings try to maximize the rewards while we minimize the costs. Mm -hmm. But there's no free lunch in any, in any marriage and in any relationship. Right. And so there's a cost benefit. And while this may sound like I'm monetizing or transactionalizing marriage, let's go back to how we first began this conversation 40 minutes ago, that marriage used to be about dominance over people and it was social contracts and arrangements between families. So we may have come far, but we have not really mm -hmm. because today in modern times, modern as in current day, two people demand an awful lot from each other mm -hmm. and coming into the marriage with an expectation, there is a cost and a reward to the ways in which we manage our lives. And so here's a couple where they're, I'm asking them to notice what strengths do they have. And by not being able to either own their own strength or recognize that they feel so disempowered, they have to control the other. There's the cost to what it's going to do to the marriage. 
And there's the reward of recognizing if both of you truly want this marriage to work or this relationship to, to grow, then there's going to have to be change, and that's the cost. And as slowly or as quickly as they are able to tolerate it, that's how fast it goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's a really important um, part of, of navigating that power, even even personally navigating that power dynamic when you're doing that in your relationship is there is a there's a tolerance to change that we have to be aware of. And I, I think mm-hmm. sometimes the pain we're in um, necessitates a quicker pace, which means we need to up our ability to tolerate or we need to be able to match the pace of the change that needs to happen with the, the tolerance level that's there. Mm-hmm. There's an exercise I do with couples when they first come in. It's very experiential um, and it's been around for a very long time. And I ask the couple to, when they come in, I we go into the group room and I ask them to go uh, stand about 12 feet apart. And they each take turns and the person or go, one of the persons of the two, so let's say uh, a wife will go first and I'll say, okay, I'd like you without using words, no words, just gesture, ask your husband to come to you. No words. And see what he does. Now, I don't direct them other than that. I don't tell them they should or shouldn't move. I just let that happen. Mm-hmm. And recognize that couples come in, if they're in crisis, this is not the time to do the exercise. Mm-hmm. But when they come in and they are out of crisis and we've now been able or starting to establish where's the baseline for this coupleship, I watch what happens. And it's very interesting to notice one's ability to influence the other in asking him or her to come or one's ability to not be influenced and therefore not go. Mm. And there's the power. It's a absolutely experiential, beautiful way to see what's going on as a power struggle in this relationship. Yeah. Because power is also not being influenced, not just influencing. Mm -hmm. So fascinating. You know, you've, you've referenced your book um, for love and money. And um, if, if we, if we can mention here, I understand there's going to be another book that dives into this power stuff. Yes. Yes. I'm very, very excited. Thank you for uh, bringing that up. It gives me an opportunity to talk about it. I'm as a result of the first book and as of the events that have occurred since its publication, I decided that a deeper and wider breadth and depth exploration of power and power struggles, uh, I wanted to write that because I was contacted by many people to work within my own practice and in other presentations I've given. And so this is really going to talk a lot about the personalities and the, first of all, let's start with attachment styles of how we come to attach and bond with others. So there's going to be a deeper exploration because we have to start with how are we attracted to the people we're attracted to and the dyads in which we grow. And then the personalities that get involved with abuse and control. The second part of the book will delve into dyads, coupleships, and how uh, to navigate and work successfully through power struggles in a relationship. So I'm in the process of writing that. 
and uh, that should come out next year or the late latter, latter part of next year. But I'm very excited about the project. Awesome. We, I, I am too. I yeah. mean, I think this is, as I, as I think about what I've gotten in CSAT training, um, I feel like this is one of the meatiest sections is how power exchanges hands, how we exert influence, or like you said today, resist being influenced. I think there's so much to be gained right. by understanding how that works for you and for your partner yeah. if you're in a, a relationship. Yes, uh, certainly work around sex addiction. Once we take the addiction out of the equation or the active acting out, the active addiction and the behaviors that were in place to try to compensate, that's when we really see what's going on in a relationship because the underlying issues that led to have to act out, be it because of an inability to tolerate distress an arousal template that has become uh, amplified on power and control. So there's so many varied and nuanced ways that sex and money inter, uh, are interwoven and play out in relationship. And um, yeah, to, to have the confluence of both of those is quite profound, quite profound as we know as clinicians and as we know as human beings walking in the world as we do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and as we try to continue to make shifts, right, from what we've talked about in this episode to how marriage used to be established and set up and kind of what was at the core of those marriages to where we're coming now wanting more connection or whatever that is we're looking for in marriage, we're usually not looking for this contractual arrangement, right? And mm-hmm. And, and yet there often aren't these guides or kind of this, this is how to explore these deeper things mm-hmm. so that those, what was in the unknown but problematic is now becoming in the known and we can work through. Yeah, it's a very, I, I dare say controversial because marriages or relationships or unions that used to be contractual may in many ways in, in revert back to that in recognizing what I bring to this mm-hmm. marriage or relationship right. and what my partner brings. And it's in the ability to have and the willingness to have that relationship and have that conversation, excuse me, that we get to really work with the power and yeah. the dynamics that show up without yes. trying to pull them from the covert undisclosed side. Mm-hmm. So yeah, very, um, it, it's, almost ironic, but I see this at the arc of the work that I've done over the years. Yeah. Well, Deb, thank you for spending some time with us today um, and and sharing your expertise and and thank you for the work you're doing. Well, thank you both and you're welcome. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've enjoyed it and uh, I look forward to coming back and speaking with both of you again. Yeah, sounds great. At the end of this episode, remember that your story matters. Remember there is something meaningful in every chapter. Don't wait to share your story till it's finished. You can share your story with us on our Facebook page, Healing Paths, Inc., or on our website, www.thanksforsharingpodcast.com. This podcast is solely for the purpose of information and entertainment and does not constitute therapy, nor should it replace competent professional help. At the end of another episode, we want to remind you that nobody has time for perfection. We are pursuing progress. And remember the prayer of the perfectionist. Help me remember I can't do it all. 
help me to take things one step at a time, and that the only step I need to focus on is the next right step for me. Help me to remember that life is a journey. Help me to be able to separate all that I am learning from all that I have to do. Help me to remember that I am not alone, that I can ask for help. Help me to strive for frequent awakenings, not mastery. I am enough. Amen.